right, folks. Well, you know you're for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. This is the Chats edition where every week on Monday night at 7.30 Eastern, we get together on YouTube to broadcast live an interview with one of the exciting people in the world of poker. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking with Kevin Rabichow. But before we do, I got to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and Mark Prashan over at Website Amp. And the reason I got to thank them is because most of what we do here is free at Rec Poker. We're a largely volunteer organization. And so uh, their sponsorship may- means a lot. And so does the sponsorship of our premium members. That 15 bucks a month helps us keep going over here, helps us do all the magic that we do. And if folks will want to get more involved with the premium membership here, whether it's to get involved with the training material put- we put out or just to say, hey, gang, thanks for doing what you do. You can use that code Rec Poker to get your first month for only $5. What a bargain. Um, speaking of bargains, I have the best job in the world. I get to hang out here every week and talk to my poker friends. Uh, my name is Jim Reed. I'm Bluffsterini in the home game and Rec Poker Jim on uh, Twitter. But I'm just the guy in front of the mic on Mondays. It takes a huge wrecking crew to get everything going over here. And if you want to find out more about me or the wrecking crew, uh, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, or you can just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them tonight right now. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I am John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. And these are the brave warriors that we will enter into this interview with. I see we've got a few folks coming along in the YouTube chat. So Phil and Mike and Joe and Martha, I'm glad to have you here. You know we're going to be giving away a prize at the end of the show like we always do. So get ready to enter the words food bank. When you, When I see the word food bank, uh, in the chat later, that's when it'll be time to do the prize. Okay, thank you all for being here. Thank you most of all for being here to Kevin Rabichow. Kevin, thank you for appearing here on the Rec Poker Podcast. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Now, um, I always start our, our interviews by kind of asking our guest to define their own role in the poker space. So you've obviously been a player for a long time. You played heads up for a long time. You've been a coach and an, extru- and an instructor. Um, you've put uh, a new course together that I'm excited to talk to you about. Um, but what uh, when people ask you sort of what's your role in the world of poker, or what's your uh, elevator answer to that? Yeah, I definitely think that my role in poker um, is primarily as a as a teacher, as a coach. And uh, I didn't I didn't realize, I guess, how how broad the reach of my run at once content was and, until I started getting out to casinos and meeting people and, and kind of traveling to play live tournaments and stuff. Uh, so I definitely think that just just being like a uh, a person who who plays high stakes, who's willing to share information, who's willing to teach the game, and and who really cares about um, coaching that that seems to be my my reputation, and I, I like having that place in in poker. That's awesome. Um, you know, I, I love. You know, we we always we, like, we talk to a lot of people who kind of like sharing that love of the game, that knowledge of the game, and obviously here on the recreational poker podcast, that's a big part of what we do. Um, so we don't talk to as many of these kind of high roller uh, players. I know the high stakes uh, uh, streets of um, heads up in particular. And that's where I wanted to start with you. Um, I know if folks are, listening, are watching on YouTube or uh, Kim Kilroy, who just joined the chat here, if they have any questions, feel free to just type them in. But I'll, I've got a couple I'll, I'll start with here for Kevin. So um, recreational players like me. We generally like to just kind of sit back and make hands. We like to not pay the blinds very often. So I think we kind of naturally steer ourselves towards like nine max or full ring tables. Some of us are getting more comfortable with six max. Um, But it's just a completely different game when you're playing heads up. So I guess my first question would be, what, what are some of the biggest challenges that especially less experienced players might find when they're moving towards uh, a style where you actually have to play almost every hand that you're dealt. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, what you just described, like the the natural tendencies that we might have from being used to playing a full table, um, when you when you try to push yourself into the heads up uh, format, I think one of two things happens. One is you you stick too closely to what you know. So you're someone who's who's generally been successful by making the best hand by waiting to trap your opponents or whatever it is and winning big pots, uh, and those players get run over <laughs> in, in mm-hmm. heads up. They they lose eighty percent of hands. Uh, they slowly bleed away their stack, and they don't make that hand they're hoping to make as frequently as they're used to because they're they're 
being dealt in every single hand and every hand is so relevant, right? Um, well, they're paying the blinds. Every hand is the most important um, thing to point out there. So there's no free hands in, in heads up, right? So you you really can't. So that style of player um, gets gets beat up in that way. They just lose all the small pots and then they wait for that big cooler. And, you know, maybe they win half of them, but the other uh, half they lose and it wasn't, it wasn't worth the wait, right? Um, then there's the other player type who I think is kind of prepared for the the battle that is one-on-one poker and and maybe over uh overly emotional about about trying to win hands about trying to to play tough um and what they will quickly realize is that they get dealt bad hands very frequently in this format (laughs) so if so if they try to play every hand aggressively and they try to win every pot uh they'll be sorely disappointed to find out that they've just usually got trash they're usually bluffing uh Per, perhaps they're making call downs with very weak pairs and and the opponent who's a little more patient will find it pretty easy to win you know all the medium to big size pots off of this player who's just like uh, we call it like a like a try hard you know uh you can't win every pot um so there is a balance to be found there right you got to fight for every pot but you also have to be willing to recognize like oh i've got weak hands um pretty often and i'm not going to win all of them mm-hmm and that feels like that must be a difficult thing to kind of naturally calibrate towards because it yeah. sounds like you're saying that some players, a lot of players, even kind of overcorrect that uh, that natural tendency and go the other way. So, yeah. give, uh, what what are some? So, I, do a lot of these calibrations just have to come into post flop analysis because you're you're playing such a wide range of hands? Is it is it really a post flop? Is is post flop skill at even more of a premium then? And heads up. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I always think preflop's very valuable. Um in in full ring games, it's perhaps even more valuable than it is in heads up. What I what I find is that someone who's just kind of winging it is is likely not to be making huge mistakes preflop. Like they're the the average player who doesn't have much heads up experience comes in with the right basic idea, which is you play most of your hands, you play pretty aggressively. I I don't typically see someone who's just way off preflop. Mm-hmm. Um, post-flop is a, is a different story, right? There's a lot of, um, yeah, miscalibrations that, that I'll find, uh, you know, newer players making when they come to heads up, for example, just like these, these old school rules of thumb that say like never fold top pair heads up, which is, I mean, probably like 70% true, but it's, it's just <laughs> these types of, it, it's not quite that simple. Right. Um, and, and on the flip side, being willing to like kind of fight for small pots and call with ace high and in little situations, right? Like calibrating that side, I think is a lot more challenging knowing, knowing what to do in the small to medium pots that are a lot more frequent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And how much of that is uh, based on the opponent across from you and how much of that just comes to being grounded in the, in the general theory. I'm sure it depends a lot from opponent to opponent. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think there's because heads up is a relatively simple game like there's there's not a lot of constraints to what you're playing i think getting a basic understanding of the of the theory for these situations is is very worthwhile um it's not it's not that time consuming to get familiar with like relative hand strengths in you know single raised pots versus three bet pots for example and and that's um, not going to be nearly as time consuming as it would be if you were trying to like use solvers to learn all of full ring cash. Uh, so I would definitely say that it's, it's the best place to start. Um, that said, adjusting to your opponents is is perhaps like the main skill that you take away from playing heads up. I would say that's the most, I, I don't know if it's the most necessary thing going into playing heads up to be able to hold your own. Uh, but I would say, um, like in the other direction, if you play a lot of heads up, you will get very good at adapting to your opponents. That's that's a, a nice outcome of, of practicing heads up. Yeah, no, I had kind of just anecdotally assumed that most players started with six ring, six max or full ring and then kind of found heads up as a as an arena for them. But it sounds yeah. like you're saying that str- strategically you might even benefit from from starting to learn with heads up and then and then moving into those other situations. Is that right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I might be biased. This just happened to be my path in the in the poker <laughs> sure. world. I I played a lot of heads up when I was getting started, and and it was the first game that I took very seriously. It was the first game that I like learned kind of all the ins and outs of. Um, but I definitely see now, looking back, like all the all the benefits that I got from that, and and certainly being a good exploitative player is like got to be one of the top three things that I've taken away from it. 
Yeah, well, it's like we say, be careful what you spend your time on, kids, because uh, that's going to be what you get good at. And that's going to be what you end up spending a lot of your time on. So, you know, you got to uh, got to think about that, too. Um, all right. So that's really interesting. Um, and we talk often about how it's kind of a difficult thing to practice in a meaningful way. You know, when people are like practicing heads up with their buddies or something, it, there's really nothing on the line. But to have something on the line, you know, that can get expensive for recreational players, too. Um, yeah. and you know, people say, oh, well, I play in the blinds a lot. You know, that's, that's also going to have wide ranges and that might prepare me for some of these spots. But obviously when you're playing blind versus blind, uh, the positional difference, the, the small blind is going to be out of position, uh, post-flop. Whereas when you're heads up, you're going to be in yeah. position post-flop. So how, how important yeah. is that one distinction, uh, when you're thinking about training and practicing this way? Uh, that's a good question. I, I would say that it's not. At, at least for getting the benefits that I was sort of just alluding to, like the, you know, the the benefits of being comfortable out of position or or being a good exploitative player or whatnot. I think you can get that from playing a lot of repetitions, blind versus blind or heads up, uh, because they the commonality is that you're forced to play almost every hand because you're both paying the blinds. Mm-hmm. So it 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 doesn't strike me that it would be that um much different to to just train the actual format that you're going to be playing if you're a if you're a ring game cash player or a or a tournament player who plays a lot of blind versus blind training that spot maybe just more than you think you need to would be a good way i think to get the benefits um of of heads up play because like the if if you were never playing heads up format just pure heads up format then the positional difference would make a huge impact on like specific strategy, right? Like if, if you poured a lot of hours into heads up and then ended up trying to apply those same strategies to blind versus blind, they would just be wrong. Um, so I, I wouldn't learn the specific strategies for one format planning to have it carry over to the other. Right. But the, the general benefits I think carry over pretty nicely. That makes sense. I just want to reinforce to our audience, something that you said a little earlier here. Um, when, when you're playing full ring, Every nine hands, you have to make up a blind and a half to avoid losing that to the table um, in blinds. When you're playing six max, you've got every six hands, you've got to make up that blind and a half. Uh, when you're heads up, that orbit is every two hands. So um, obviously, there's only one person who's taking it away from you. But I think you said it really well that you're paying the blinds every every hand. So you have to try and just wring as much EV out of those hands as possible, right? Am I Am I getting close with that? Yeah, I mean, what like... If if you think about it, um, just in terms of like preflop math, if you're if you're an overly tight player in a nine-handed game, that might only cost you like a fraction of a of a small blind or something, right? In in terms of how uh, how much can be stolen from you over the course of nine hands. But if you play too tight heads up, you're losing, you know, a, a half of a big blind one hand, then a half of a small blind the next hand, then a half of a big blind. It, it's going to be an enormous loss rate um, from playing too tight pre-flop. So you, you really do have to, it's not an, it's not optional to play loose and heads up. It's, <laughs> it's very much mandatory. There you go. I like that. Um, and again, I'll encourage anyone in the YouTube chat to fire away. If you've got any questions for Kevin, I had a whole bunch of these lined up, so I'm just going to keep on rolling. Um, so in, in that case, uh, the opening ranges, of course, like we talk a lot about opening ranges for recreational players. That's a big place for us to start. And I think mm-hmm. you can really improve your, your ROI by just having good, solid opening ranges. It's a great knock on effect. You know, you're not in trouble as much on later streets, that kind of thing. Um, when you're again focusing straightly straight on uh, heads up, I imagine this is where limping uh, the small blind sort of is obviously very uh, a different a different. What am I trying to say? It's it's more valuable. It's more it's blah blah blah. There's not there's not as much wrong with it in this case when you're heads up than in other situations. Um, mm-hmm. What was that experience like for you when you were learning about that and sort of like? what kind of general rules did you have to develop about, okay, well, these are the hands I'm going to limp with and these are the hands I'm going to open with and, uh, mm-hmm. and why? Yeah. So I guess like two, two things that come to mind, you know, in, in some heads up formats, um, limping is relatively uncommon. So I, I would say that like in uh, 100 big blind plus cash games, uh, limping would actually be a good strategy. It's, it's often computer recommended. Um, but it's very uncommon to see human players using a limp strategy at in those uh, in like the two blind hundred big blind plus format, uh, just because it doesn't 
it's not that expensive to to just disregard it entirely and just play a raise only strategy. Um, but I found now that I'm playing more tournament format and and more anti format, uh, limping is exceptionally useful if you're if you're playing either with an anti or if you're playing shallow stacked. So if you're playing, let's say like you know thirty big blinds, twenty big blinds, whatever. Right. Um, very very important. Even without an anti, when you're shallow, very important to be limping. Uh, so just wanted to clarify that, you know, a, lo- a lot of heads up players get away, never limping just because they avoid those formats. They just only play, let's say the, the hundred big blend plus cash format. Uh, but now that I've gotten used to limping, uh, what I kind of learned is uh, something, I guess a little counterintuitive is that, um, the very worst hands you have. So let's say just like the bottom 20% of hands pretty much just always want to limp and always want to fold when they get raised. And and that's just fine. Like it, <laughs> it feels it feels like kind of dirty to play this very face up seeming strategy of like oh I'm just going to limp my weak hands because I want to see a cheap flop, which is literally what you're doing and that's like computer backed. Um and there's of course ways to protect this strategy by limping some stronger hands, but I I think that as a starting point it's it's important to understand why limping is valuable. It's valuable so that you can play your weak hands. Uh, mm. And in heads up, that means the absolute worst hands in poker, like the bottom 20% of hands or so. Uh, if you never limped, you would have to fold these hands. So it's it's important to recognize the value of limping. Then like the, I guess the other kind of interesting thing is that computers uh, very rarely, unless they're quite shallow, very rarely limp like the very best hands. So they very rarely limp like pocket aces, pocket kings, pocket queens. Um because there's just too much value in raising them and 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 your opponent's going to play a whole lot of hands no matter what you do like they're you're going to raise and they're not going to fold that much so you're you're actually passing quite a lot um if you limp like trap with aces or kings or something like that uh so i guess the like general advice that i would say when it comes to limping is don't be afraid to limp your very weakest hands and, and feel kind of face up in that way and and the only reason to limp a premium hand would be if your opponent is attacking your limps more than they're attacking your raises, right? Which, which actually, in heads up, is not it's not that common. It's it's pretty common for people to play quite aggressively even against your raises. Um, so there's there's no real uh, issue with just raising your best hands and just limping your weakest hands. It, it feels um, like something you're not supposed to do, I imagine. Yeah, I think some of our I think some of our tryhardy uh, uh, members and players that you're describing. Um, I think we we love the balance of the game. We love the sort of elegance of the game. And so we're attracted to this notion of balance yeah. and of being balanced. But I think some of us don't. I think some of us kind of think that you have to be balanced all the time. And that can be a real problem. It sounds mm-hmm. like you're saying just you can just limp your bad hands and fold when it raised. And, and I mean, <laughs> you might not even have to be protecting that limping range with strong hands, depending on who you're playing against. Um, yeah. how, how do you tell? when you're at the table with someone, whether you need to be playing balanced or not, like uh, how, how do we understand whether that's something we should even be worried about? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, if I'm thinking just about like the pre-flop strategies, the, the things that I'm looking for is, is I guess the way that I learn it is by starting with a solution, right? So I'll start with my pre-flop charts um, but very often, uh, you know, a lot of people try to memorize their preflop charts. I I try to understand the preflop charts. I try to understand mm. like why they why they function the way that they do. And when it comes to this limping dynamic that I'm talking about, what I noticed is that limping um, mostly gets like it it doesn't get attacked for large sizes at a at a high frequency when the player out of position, uh, let's say has like too much money behind, right? So let's say there's like 50 big blinds behind. Um, they're not, at least in the solution, they're not going to be attacking you with big raises any more than, I don't know, 30, 35% of the time or something like this, which might sound like a lot, but in, in the context of heads up, it's not that much. Um, so what I'm looking for in my opponent is a is a signal that they're playing more aggressively than that, right? So, mm-hmm. so kind of knowing in the background because I studied the spot roughly how aggressive they're supposed to play when I limp or what types of hands they're supposed to raise when I limp. Um, then I go to the table looking for, for counter evidence, right? I I'm seeking out with every showdown, with every, with every, uh, bet size that they choose, whatever it is, I'm trying to 
challenge the assumption that they're just playing the spot well because you know they're probably not playing the spot well but i it's my job to figure <laughs> out in what way they're not playing it well are they are they checking with queen jack suited because they're you know they're not sure that it's strong enough to raise well that's a sign that my limps really don't need to be protected because they're not getting attacked by by quite a strong hand um or conversely they raise and at some point they show down five do suited or something and it's like oh okay yeah i mean that's just out of line like not only is that a bluff but it's also like too strong to bluff in in the context of heads up so it's so if i see these kinds of signals now i know where to shift my strategy okay now i'm going to limp a little bit stronger because they're too active or i'm going to limp a little bit weaker because they're they're too passive nice and that's really the art of the game isn't it i mean counter adjusting to your opponent to, to find those areas that they're making mistakes and exploit that to the max yeah um so one thing that we talk about often is uh, like recording information while you're playing or like what to pay attention to, uh, how to yeah. take notes, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. When I'm playing heads up, particularly online, that action is going so quickly. Uh, yeah. I find it's very difficult to keep anything to, to actually make any notes in real time. Um, how yeah. much of that do you try and do in real time and how much do you allow it to just kind of aggregate in the background and then an analyze it yourself later? Yeah, I I mean, I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm a pretty big proponent of note taking. I would say I think that it's important to log as much information as possible. I personally find it easier in heads up than I do when I'm playing tournaments, but that might just be like a table management kind of thing. Because uh, in tournaments, I'm often as soon as I see something unusual, I've got three other hands to play, and and I can't right. really ignore them. Whereas if I'm just playing one opponent, heads up. I can kind of slow the action for 15 or 20 seconds, write down my note, and then continue. Uh, now, of course, if you're someone who's playing four tables against four different opponents, <laughs> then good luck to you. Uh, right. You're probably not going to take any notes. But <laughs> the um, yeah, I, I think that it's important to write down notes. And again, what what I try to do, and this might be like difficult or or a little nuanced, but I, I try to write down things that are surprising to me. Yes. So like a lot of times you see a showdown that that matches your expectation, whether it's a, a well-played hand or a poorly played hand doesn't really matter. Right. But if it matches my expectation, I, I don't necessarily feel the need to write it down. Um, but if it strikes me as unusual, I, I need to take note of it um, because it probably is something that I'm going to want to adjust my strategy for. Whereas, you know, presumably the things I expect to see my strategies already um, doing quite, quite okay against. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great note. Um, and you only have so much bandwidth, so you can't be thinking about recording stuff that you're going to make the same assumptions about anyway, right? So anytime exactly. something seems weird, that's that's when you write down. Yeah. Um, all right. I like that. And then uh, just logistically, uh, what do you use to take notes? Is it in a spreadsheet or a Google Doc or a pen and paper or in Poker Tracker or something like that? What do you use? Yeah, I, I either use like a notepad file or I use Poker Tracker like for for tagging hands. Yes, um, yes. If I if I feel that I need to tag the specific hands, uh, but something I actually like made a video on this when I was working on my course. Something that I've I've started to do more recently is uh, sort of like transcribe my notes after the session's over. So mm -hmm. so Notepad is handy because I can leave up like even after I've closed the client down or whatever. Um, I can leave up the notes that I scribbled while I was playing, and very often there's just like too much specific hand information in there it's it's barely legible like you know it, it's not the type of stuff that you could pull up a week later and be like oh right yes i know what to do against this player it it's probably just like a, a poorly transcribed hand history that doesn't make sense to you anymore um so i think it's actually pretty important like jot down whatever while you're playing and then after you close your session like read through those notes again and maybe turn it into like one or two sentences, right? Like turn it into a description of the player rather than all these random data points that that won't make sense to you in the future. I think that part is a lot more valuable than like exactly how you take notes in game. Mm. Um, because I've, I just remember noticing over the years, like I would, I would have notes show up from some player and I couldn't remember and I couldn't remember the spot and I read the note and it was just no help. Or I, I'm, I'm sure plenty of you listening have, you know, I've taken those notes that are just like all caps, idiot, maniac play. Like, <laughs> right, right. It's just like, this isn't helpful. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not something you can turn into an adjustment later. 
<laughs> that's just how you were like feeling when, when that player, you know, called you with Jack high or whatever. So it's, yeah, uh, it's better to, to translate for yourself in the future so that they're actually usable. And I think people don't appreciate the value that we get out of taking that moment to kind of curate and transcribe your notes into actionable items or, or like into actionable information, at least. Uh, not only because you end up with a better, higher quality information, but also we talk about this all the time, like the process of having to go through it, analyze it, put it into your own words and put it together. Um, yeah. That's just going to reinforce it to you in a much stronger way than it would just just reading it off like that. Totally. So, yeah. And then, uh, so you, is this something that you do at the end of each session now at this point? Um, you you take that that time and how long do you usually take to do that at the, at the end of the session? Yeah, so I get I guess like current day, this mostly happens to me at the casino. I've I've been playing mostly live tournaments. Um, so so that would look like me using like my note, um, my sticky note like app to write down all the interesting hands that I've had or uh or cataloging in like I sort of have like a calling it a database makes it sound more sophisticated than it is, but just like you know, player notes that have someone's name who I see regularly and if I take these notes to myself on the phone, uh, it'll just more be like at the end of the trip, like when I'm on my flight home or when I get back home, I'll, I'll take those off my phone and I'll put them into like the main file that, that exists on my computer. Mm. And that way I just have like, you know, let's say three months later, I make a final table with some player who I played with back in Florida. And I don't really remember that much. I like open up my file and I search their name and lo and behold, I have a few pieces of information on them. So that's uh, the main benefit of that. It's just, it, it's not happening every day because I'm just because of the format. Um, but I would probably do it like when I played the legend showdown, uh, which was a heads up tournament on, on run at once poker a couple of years ago, uh, I was playing back to back days against, you know, the same opponent in some cases. Mm. So I did have to just right after the session, take those notes, write it into a plan for tomorrow, go to sleep, wake up, reread my notes and then play the next session. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I start, I've been playing a little more live. I started online. Well, I didn't start online. I, I've played mostly online. Um, mm -hmm. And one thing that I found was really helpful was using Trello uh, to make notes on players mm -hmm. because you can move the cards up and down depending on who's at your table that time because that's nice. one of the functionalities of it that, that's really nice. But uh, yeah, just having the information there available to uh, to data, data mine it later, you know, that's a big one. Right. Um, so you were talking a bit about your course. Um, I know at the end of the show, uh, Chris is going to have a question about three betting. The theme of the month this month at Rec Poker is, uh, is three betting. But I want to talk about, just as you mentioned earlier, kind of your approach to teaching, um, working with Run at Once, putting this coach this uh, course together. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about sort of what the course is meant to do and then how you decided to put it together the way you did? Because it's a really interesting uh, way of doing it. Yeah, totally. So pretty much... What happened was over the last couple of years, I, I devoted a lot more of my attention to one-on-one -on -one coaching. Hmm. And when I say devoted my attention, like I've, I've been doing coaching on and off for probably 10 years, but the amount of hours that I put into it was really high. So I was starting to find like efficiencies and I was starting to find patterns in, in what my students were needing. Right. So I think previously I wasn't able to do this because my students were too spread out. They, they weren't coming to me like, I don't know. Uh, I would maybe coach someone like one month and then three months later I would coach someone else and it uh, I wasn't able I wasn't able to get into a system of any kind. So coaching three or four days a week, I was starting to like find a bit of a, a pattern or find a system that was working for almost every student who came my way regardless of what format they were playing. So I was working with tournament players, heads up players, um, cash game players live and online. They all kind of needed, some sort of method to evaluate where they're starting at. And they all needed a lot of help with their study routine or their study methods. Um, so that eventually just kind of, I don't, I don't want to say it hit me as like the format for the course. It was more an iterative yeah. process with the run at once team where I was like, should we do a heads up course? And they were like, I don't know if anyone plays heads up anymore. And then we kind of, <laughs> we kind of workshopped the idea until we realized that my strength was more in this like coaching uh, procedure than it was in you know, specifically heads up strategy. Uh, so the course kind of combines these two things. It it guides the user through an evaluation. It shows them how to create like a solid study plan. And it it goes through all the ways that I like use different tools or use different um, methods of of taking in information like, like training sites or uh, watching live streams or 
reading books or whatever, but also like using poker tracker, using PO solver, uh, using other modern tools. I kind of show how I do all of that to address the different concerns that I think are likely to come up in the, in the evaluation. Um, and then I, I use heads up as like a means to show my process. So I use heads up as a means to show like how I simplify strategies and how I use, you know, aggregated reports and how I use, um, different ways to learn like pretty advanced strategies, but in, in simpler ways and, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully present that in a way that can be, uh, adapted to different formats, right? So adapted to tournaments or six max cash or, or what have you. Um, so that's, that's the main overview. Like I'm, I'm just trying to sort of coach the, the user of the, of the course, uh, as you know, as well as I can like package the the method that I would use to coach them if if they were actually my student. Yeah. And and what kind of uh, grounding does someone have to have already to get the most out of your course? Like I, if someone's still looking on the hand rankings card that comes with uh, their cards, they're not going to be the perfect person <laughs> for it. But where on for the sure. spectrum, like, is it worth it for people to start getting involved in this kind of a calibrate, uh, uh, calculated study? Yeah, what I've what I've sort of been telling um, I mean, I found this with my coaching as well. I've, I've started to, to get a better sense for like, who's ready to, to be working with me one-on-one. And I think it's very similar to this course. Um, people who have exhausted a few options already before getting to this course are, are very likely to be the right person for this course. So if you've already tried a couple of courses and they didn't quite work for you, um, or if you've already tried working with a one-on-one coach or, you know, you've, you tried, you bought PO solver and you were just like, this is confusing. And then you just kind of stopped using it. Like the, the people who are actively trying to improve already, but they've hit some kind of roadblock. Those are the ones that I think it's going to work the best for, because I present a lot of methods for, for taking down those roadblocks. Um, but we have had a, you know, I can think of at least one or two people who have come to me asking about the course. And I was just like, honestly, like if you, if you've never, if this is going to be your first course with run at once, or if this is like, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking of taking poker seriously for the first time. Like, where should I start? I would say like, no, it's, it's probably not the right fit because it really does rely on some, some amount of attempts at improvement have already happened. Uh, and it requires that you're willing to take like this full evaluation, which can be pretty daunting for someone who's mm-hmm. not, you know, already kind of working on themselves or already working on their game in some way. Yeah. As you heard it here first, folks, so come get your baby steps with our training materials at rec poker, and then, uh, we'll take off the water wings and you can, uh, get out there and, uh, and learn how to crush it with the killers like, uh, Kevin Rabichow. <laughs> so, um, I, we're going to set up Chris for the last question, unless we see any more coming up in the uh, YouTube chat. But uh, my friend Phil is saying, happy Thanksgiving, Canadians. Go grab an extra cruller and a coffee from Timmy. So thank you, Phil. Uh, Kevin, you lived in Toronto for a while, but as far as I understand it, you're a dirty yank like the rest of these bums. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess both are true. I, I am still in Canada and I'm uh, recently a dual citizen. So I Oh, I grew wow. Up in, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Chicago. Yeah, I guess this is actually my... <laughs> Kim throws on the Canadian flag. I love it. Yeah, the Canadian flag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the um, this is my first Canadian Thanksgiving as a citizen, but I've I've celebrated ah. about uh, ten or eleven of them up here at this point. So yeah, I've uh, I've been living in Canada a while. And was that a Black Friday uh, move it based was, on the timing? Yeah. 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 And was that was that all in Toronto? Uh, I lived in Toronto, Waterloo, Sudbury, uh, mm-hmm. Ottawa. I've I've moved around, all in Ontario. Basically, I've kind of yeah. bounced around uh, my partner and I. So depending on what fits at the time. Right now, we're in Ottawa. Nice. So you've seen the big nickel up in Sudbury. That's the only yes. Uh, oh yeah, you're yeah. familiar. Right. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that, I, I I was setting Chris up, but uh, now I have to ask a little tangent question here. Um, how have you experienced the geo fence in Ontario? How has mm. that changed the way that you're approaching online poker, and and or has it? We'll talk about that a little. Yeah, it has. I am someone who I guess in the last like year or so has mostly played online tournaments when the series runs. Uh, so being geofenced takes a lot of that option away from me, unfortunately. Uh, the series that was just happening, I guess, like two weeks ago now, uh, I did make an effort to, so I'm in Ottawa, which means I'm like a 30 minute drive, not even from Quebec. So I am able to do the whole, like set up a temporary office and yep. play and, and play from, you know, a, a, a not ring fenced province, but, uh, I did run into some technical issues and poker stars ran into some technical issues. So the whole, mm. 
trip was kind of a bust. Uh, but at, at that point, GG was still running uh, WSOP within Ontario. They only just, I think, closed that off on like the 30th or October 1st. Um, so I have yet to try WSOP from Ontario. All my sites are moved over. I I honestly just haven't really played. I, I'm familiar with what games are running and they look, you know, as you would expect in a geofence market, they look healthy, but small, essentially. Right. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, what about live? Do you get a chance to play live in Ontario very often? And, and where and what's that like? It hasn't run a whole lot since the pandemic. The uh, The best games were often at Playground, just outside yep. of Montreal. And Oh, yeah, uh, we, lo- we know Playground. We love Playground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I played some at Falls View. Uh, the WPT would come to Falls View every February, and, and actually some really big cash games would, would run uh, at least the last couple of times that that series came. Some really big cash games ran. So I was there whenever the series was there, but... Um, outside of that, I just mostly stick to staying home and playing online. Nice. Um, well, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Jones runs our learning uh, material here. He's our membership content director at Rec Poker. And every month we have a different theme of the month. Uh, the theme this month is three betting from the point of view uh, of the aggressor. Uh, so, Chris, why don't you see if you can pick Kevin's brain a little on that subject? Yeah, Kevin, thanks. Uh, this has been great uh, hearing all your answers to Jim. And, and one thing that we've um, been sort of exploring as a community um, around three betting is that, um, you know, I think recreational players, serious recreational players have a have an understanding that they have to three bet, not just their best hands, but have, you know, some balance of kind of bluffs and value in their three betting range. But then I think a lot of uh, players that I talk to uh, understand that, try it, do it, but then the post flop is where they like really, it's all starts to sort of like melt down a little bit. Mm. And um, some, I think a lot of recreational players tend to oversee bet once they've started that line of aggression that they like can't stop. Yeah. And they're almost see betting hundred percent of the time, yeah. but then they sort of like, can't, they also like struggle to sort of continue that in later streets. So I'm wondering if you can, and yeah. like, I think later streets become really under bluffed by, by recreational players. So like on the C betting on the flop, they're, they're probably over bluffing and on the later streets, they're kind of under bluffing. And I'm wondering if yeah. you can just talk in general about some initial sort of thoughts you might have about approach to post flop as the three bet aggressor, um, you know, for somebody who sort of understands the fundamentals of three betting, but like maybe gets themselves into too much trouble in post flop spots. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, It's something that I've had to work on with a lot of my students specifically because depending on the format that they're playing, they they might be using uh, a more polarized three betting range or they might be using a more linear three betting range. Uh, For a while, I worked with like online uh, six max players. Almost all of my students for a while were online six max players. and, And most of them just have a very linear three betting strategy because that's like it's simple and it's very close to the solution. Uh, so they probably didn't have the exact same problem that you're, that you're describing. Um, whereas a lot of like the heads up players that I work with or the tournament players who play shallow stacked would, would be working with these, you know, three bet bluffs more frequently. Uh, and, and they definitely run into the same issues you're describing. One thing that comes to mind is, is just thinking about that structure, at least in the way I just described it, whether you're polar or, or linear, and letting that carry over to your flop play to some extent, because I find that in a lot of situations, if you were linear pre-flop, so the way I think about linear is like uh, lots of high cards, lots of pairs, um, then when the board comes, it should be pretty obvious to you whether it's a good board for you or a bad board for you. Like if, if there's lots of high cards on the board, it's good for you. Uh, if there's lots of low cards on the board, it's it's probably average at best, uh, very likely to be bad for you. Um or, you know, if it's just like a paired board with nothing, then then again, it's probably quite good for you uh, because maybe even high cards are a good hand. So if you can gather that, you can pretty quickly determine if like continuation betting with everything is, is fine. Um, oftentimes it is. And oftentimes we can just, you know, bet and then move on to the turn and kind of start dissecting our range from the turn. Uh, but going back to the, the idea of like, if you have three bet bluffs pre-flop, uh, I think it's pretty important to to take that polar mentality to the flop um, very often. The only exception to this would be if your bluffs happen to connect really well with the flop 
but but I don't think this is very common. So you know, but the way I'm thinking about it is like, okay, I'm I'm segmenting my my good value hands and my bluffs right away on the flop, and that helps me figure out across future streets. Uh, well, any of these bluffs are viable to continue bluffing, right? We don't need to fear continuing to bluff to bluff just because it's not a good hand, like a, not a good equity hand or not a not a draw or whatever. Um, that's fine. You've you, you bluffed pre-flop. You've got a good, you know, you have a good board. It's it's quite possible you just have to keep bluffing regardless of, you know, if if your hand has equity or not. And I think that's what holds people up a lot. I mean, you know, I'm not sure if this has been your experience, but I I know if if someone's three betting pre-flop with like the ace four offsuit, and and it comes king jack six, like they're they're just so hesitant to find a way to bluff this hand, even though it's probably a really good spot on on turns and rivers to keep bluffing this hand. I love that. Um, well, uh, this has been a phenomenal interview. I feel like we got some coaching, which is why my favorite interviews end up being coaching sessions, <laughs> which I just, I'll just selfishly jump in there and soak up all that I can. Um, if folks want to take the course, uh, what's the best way for them to find a link to it? We'll put a link in the show notes, of course, but uh, is it just run it once uh, the, the homepage there or is there a back door or what's the secret, super secret entrance in? Yeah, uh, run at once should guide you there pretty easily. The the sale is is closing later today, so it, you know they might not be pushing it on the homepage quite as much. But you will find it in the courses section. It's called the game plan, uh, and yeah, just to, on run at once's website is the best place to find it. Fantastic. And yeah, if you're listening to this live, it's not too late. You can go get a discount on it by uh, checking it out tonight, the time the night of the recording. Um, have you heard from Matt Matros's lawyers? Uh, about the <laughs> titling of the course. Has that come up? Have you received any registered mail? I, I have not yet. And maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's something I need to look into myself because this is my first time hearing about it. <laughs> oh, no, really? Oh, oh, Matt's got a, a Matt Matros. Uh, he's got a book out there called The Game Plan, um, mm. which is uh, sort of helping uh, less experienced players follow, find some simple rules to follow. And uh, I just thought it was too, too, too good <laughs> to bring that it must, up. That must be why if it, that makes sense that it's, a, I remember doing a bunch of Google searching when we, when we were workshopping the names, trying to make sure that we didn't, you know, interfere with, with searches right at the very least, but obviously copyright, we don't want to, uh, right. yeah, that, that makes sense that we wouldn't have come across a book. That's a, that's an oversight on our part. There you go. Well, uh, as for, I'll just mute this whole section of the interview. No one has to <laughs> No, this is just between us. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Kevin. If folks want to get more in touch with you, uh, what's your preferred method of communication? Social media, email, smoke signals? What's the best way? Uh, yeah, probably best is uh, email or, or through my website. Uh, my full name.com is, is where my private coaching happens. Uh, KevinRabichow.com. There's a there's an email link that you can easily find on there, a contact page or whatever. But I am on Twitter and Instagram. It's it's my first initial and last name, K Rabichow on Twitter and Instagram. Fantastic. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. So if you're listening to the audio version of this, just uh, click over to the show notes so you can find all those links to, to get in touch with Kevin and take advantage of uh, this fantastic, amazing poker mind. Uh, well, that was that was a treat. Kevin, thank you again. I hope we get to have you on. We, we also do the forums edition of the podcast from time to time. Uh, so I might try and bend your ear down the road a little bit, see if we can talk some even more strategy about some of the stuff when the right time comes around. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, anytime. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. Cheers, Kevin. Well, uh, we're going to roll on, talk about some home game results and some new schedule tweaks and some other fun stuff coming up here. So uh, we'll say goodbye to you tonight. But thank you again for that. That was a treat. Thanks. Take care. All right. So uh, we've been looking forward to that one. I've heard Kevin, actually, he was on the Thinking Poker podcast recently, which I don't mind saying is my favorite poker podcast. Um, and so he talks a lot about different solvers, uh, his approach to learning, uh, using templates to kind of get this economy of scale that he's talking about um, earlier in the episode there. So I'd encourage everyone to go uh, listen to the Thinking Poker podcast. It should have come out, I think, a, a week or two before this one. They'll get some great information about all that kind of stuff. Um, all right, well, let's roll into home game land. We've we've tweaked the schedule a little bit. We're doing our Tuesday night online play and hang again, um, which means that we've moved the fun country OPA, the online play and hang to Thursdays. So it's it does on Thursdays now at 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, 9 p.m. Central. It's a shorter game because it's a nine-handed sit and go, and it's free to, to play for premium members, and the winner gets $25. So there's gonna there, there have been a few seats available too in this one. So if it's Thursday and uh, you don't have any plans and you want to turn nothing into $25, 
then uh, head on over to rec.poker, join the OPA group, and you'll find the link to join there. Uh, the winner this week was Dave Evil Roy Westerveld. And uh, Dave and um, Eric Jin have been kind of cutting it up lately. It's it, one of them. You got to go through Dave or Eric if you're going to win the Fun Country OPA. So uh, congratulations um, to Dave. And uh, yeah, John, why don't we roll into our Poker Stars Home Game Club results? All right. Well, we have two weeks worth of home game results because for a little while, Poker Stars was being a little finicky and wasn't giving me the results. It's rude. But do they I, know how hard you work? Do they know? Well, I hacked the kind into of their system to... and downloaded all of the files. And, <laughs> no, I did not. Just to let everyone know, I did no hacking. God mode. He's playing God mode, everyone. This explains so much. <laughs> okay. So on September 26th, Magra44 got wow. his sixth nightly event for the year. Duck. Bruce K54 Bruce. got his third nightly event for the year. Glassjaw2222, David. Dave Shun got his third nightly. Uncle Tom's Cabin got his fourth nightly. Uncle Hoots, Brett Barhoover, got his first nightly for the year. Back a to big back deal. Uncles. Yep. <laughs> Different uncles, but back to back. No, uncles. no, sir. That's a very avuncular part of the week there, I'd say. Exactly. Uh, a big deal, 1992. Brent DeHaven got his fourth nightly victory for the year. J.S. Adam. Jay, Jess, we got Jeff it, guys. Yes, we yes, got it. Yeah. All right, thank you. I love Jeff. This we is my favorite player, whoever this is. We need new players like this. <laughs> well, he's an old player, and I can't oh. remember what we decided to do. His name is Jeff S, so maybe his last name is Setum. So maybe it's Jeff Setum, but his initials are Jeff S. Anyway, seventh nightly victory. So not a new player. <laughs> okay, not a new player, but. No, uh, but he's still bringing the hook. He's That's still bringing the heat. <laughs> yeah, that may have been more to do with my ineptitude than his particularly hard to pronounce name. John, um, your ineptitude is your answer for everything around here. We all know it's not true. We know well, my ineptitude true. is boundless. <laughs> Bone Crusher 14, Marcel Dusk got the oh, second nice, mixed Marcel. victory for the year. Good for him. Then. Pet Vet 33 got her second international victory for the year. Let's uh, let's just just skip all the Pet Vets that are coming up. There's like like 10 in a row. This was a big week, wasn't it? Holy Yeah, I mean, if we do that, then we may as well stop announcing things. It's just Pet Vet Week at uh, at Rec Poker. And I want you to know there was at least one where she got a second place instead of a first. So, you know, it could... Could be even worse. Um, <laughs> Rosy Q, Roz Corto got her third oh, go, international right. victory for the year. And then Pet Vet 33 won oh, the boy. daily LPP event, her oh, second no. of the year. So oh, she, boy. of course, can contact Jim at rec.poker for a free month at Learn Pro Poker. Oh, yeah. And now I have a little confession to make. Uh-oh. Um, as we're coming into the next week's stuff, oh. I made uh, an executive decision that <laughs> Kim really wanted to let everyone know that she was Kim Kilroy. So I went in on her behalf oh. and made her name public. Now, if that it was an error, I am more than willing to change it back, but I'm assuming... <laughs> That you didn't want your name to be private on these things. So just letting you know. There you go. Anyway, for the Nolan Holdem Championship Silver <laughs> Series, we have Pet Pet 33, Kim Kilroy. <laughs> Won the uh, got her for this audio is, This is why uh, Pet Pet has covered her face up. This is why you have to come to watch the video versions of these. This is amazing. Yeah, nicely done, Kim. So sorry, John. Uh, we didn't mean to interrupt you there. Uh, you said uh, Kim was in the middle of winning something else. Is that right? Yeah, the No Let Holdem Championship Series. Oh what? my! Oh wow! The Wednesday night. The Wednesday night. Oh, is nothing sacred. Kim's just going to come in and trash us all at everything. I know. Amazing. What is going Amazing. on? Pretty you know, she much. offers coaching, folks. She offers coaching. I'm just saying. True. Kim Kilroy, come get a piece of Pet Pet. And then Frogman Rick got his fourth night yes. victory for the year. There you go, Rick. Hot Rod Bunny got his or her first victory for the year. 
Oh, yeah, that was on Tuesday, right? Yeah, I remember we watched that in the OPA. Uh, Joe Cool was uh, put doing his best to close the close the door, but Hot Rod Bunny came through with a win. Nicely done, Hot Rod Bunny. And what day follows Wednesday? Mm, you, in Canada, it's Thursday. I don't know how you guys Okay, do in Thursday. Well, then on October 6th, with, which also follows Wednesday, October 5th, Pet Vet 33, Kim Kilroy, oh won wow. her eighth nightly victory for the year this, this is, is an all-time heater 33rd victory all time wow but like, then on the seventh not to take anything away from the winner of this event but on the seventh she got second place but wow. enough about that because i want to make sure that chalada ben oh ben got his nice. second nightly victory from the year and deserves all the kudos there well, he had to beat Kim heads up, so he's obviously some kind of wizard master um, already, and I know that about Ben already. We've we've chatted before. So congratulations, Ben. Nice, nice way to go. And on October eighth, Megra forty four got his seventh Done. nightly victory for the year. He's back, bookends. This is his forty fourth victory lifetime. Wow! So Kim he's, is he's still eleven behind. I know. Well, so he, he's been doing it longer. Up. He's been yep. doing it longer. OG. Then, uh, now then, KB got Dug. his first mixed vec- daily mixed ben- uh, victory for the year. You're doing great, John. Yeah. East Coast <laughs> bitter Ben Enslow got his fourth <laughs> international victory for the year. <laughs> nice. He loves those Isma, Isma got his second vic- international victory, or her. You you Whatever. just gloss right over Isma now. I mean that used no, no, to be the like one that would trip butter you up. Now it's just, yeah, ooh. it's a little disappointing. Yeah, well that's because I figured it out. You know, Isma. <laughs> he won well, enough. Speaking of Isma, he also won the LPP Sunday event. Whoa! So his first lifetime, he can contact or she can contact Jim at Rec.Poker for the free month at Learn Pro Poker. There you go, isn't my And um, if, if memory serves from your old days of struggling with it, uh, Spike was the name of that person. I still don't know if that's the real name or not, or if it's uh, a. Well, I know girl, it but. was the name, but it's now private. So and and I don't know if uh, I don't know if something happened to the settings on the site that a bunch of people get, became private. I know I got rid of my special cheat sheet that yes. Steve had originally created so yes. that people can control their privacy um, so if you're if you're like isma uh and you want and you win one of these and you want us to shout you out using your real name uh, you just got to go to the profile field and uh, make sure that you've got your information public there your first and last name and john's even put a little faq on the home game page uh yep. showing people how to do it with some screenshots and uh, and that so if you go to rec.poker slash home game you can find everything you need to know to make yourself famous in the rec poker world with John Somsky. And to be clear, um, the it's the extended profile portion that you need to go into. That's oh, where yeah, the, there's, a second, uh, right. there's like a second tab you have to hit. Is that what it right. is? That's okay. a second tab. So folks, uh, head on over to rec.poker. Um, you'll see your name up on the top right there. Hit that into your own personal settings on your profile. And there's just that second little tab with all that hidden information. And, and that's what we'll do for that. But Spike, do send me an email, please. A gym at rec.poker. You have earned yourself uh, through your uh, valor and skill and merit destroying the other comers in the Sunday night Learn Pro Poker Rec Poker home game. You've won a free month at uh, Learn Pro Poker, and they do a lot of great stuff there. You're going to love it. We're actually having Ryan LaPlante back on the show in November. Uh, the theme of the month in November is defending against three bets. So we're going to be talking to Ryan about calling three bets, hands you can fold to three bets, how to proceed with uh, balanced four betting range and when that's required. So uh, if you want to get into that kind of good stuff and everything else that they have going over there, please do. Spike, send me that email, Jim at rec.poker, and we'll get you all sorted out. And then, John, um, there's, I thought you were, <laughs> there's also uh, the tables. There's a little more room around the tables in the home game this month, isn't there? Has anyone else noticed that? Oh, yeah. That's the other confession that I should uh, <laughs> make. I accidentally made uh, most of the home games this month six max. And that was not an intentional. So enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> we were having a lot of fun in the uh, Tuesday night OPA last week. Because uh, it, as people would 
realize that it was six max. It was like, oh yeah, has this been six max the whole time? I think when they got down to three handed, um, one of the players typed into the thing. Hey, wait, are we playing six max? <laughs> I was like, yes, you, you've beaten 49 out of the 52 people in this tournament. And now you're realizing that it's six max. That's uh, too, too funny. Um, but it's a kind of, it's a cool variant. And I know we kind of talked about it a bit with, um, with Kevin on the show earlier. Yeah. Now let's, let's steal a little strategy chat here. We won't go too deeply into it, but do you guys feel like you need to play a wider range of hands when you're playing six max? Do you just chop off the early position part of your opening ranges uh how do you guys adjust to, to playing six match one second yeah that i i tend to just chop off the early part i might make it slightly wider but it's closer to just saying you know what you'd play in a nine max game just throw away the first three positions and start from the fourth hey, kim did you have something there? no just slightly tighter than that just because you don't have the bunching effect of people having thrown away three bad hands before you act. Mm. Mm. So uh, I would say, yes, I would play the same as a nine ring from the say uh, low Jack would be under the gun. Um, although tightened up, maybe a pip or two. Hmm. And then just remember, like we talked about your, you're paying one and a half big blinds every six hands instead of every nine hands. So your overall win rate, um, you know, you, you're going to have to squeeze a little more out of, uh, out of the hands that you're playing because uh, you're going to be paying those blinds a little more and you're going to be playing them more frequently. Uh, well, that was fantastic. Uh, Michael in the chat asks, is tonight tournament of champions six max? I don't think so, but I'll let, uh, I'll let John respond. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't intended to be. Whether or not it is, who knows? <laughs> yeah, it might have been retroactively done on purpose. We're not sure yet, uh, Michael. Uh, so go and check that out. Um, and yeah, we'll see tonight. It is the second Monday of the month. So it's tonight's Tournament of Champions. Producer Jim will be recording it. And just like every month, we record the final table, and this is open to all of our community members. You don't have to be a premium member to take part of this, but you can um, join us. Everyone who makes the final table is invited to join me for the online review and hang. We'll do this on the fourth uh, Wednesday of the month. We get together and we just play back the video of uh, the final table being played out with some of the folks that were there. And so you can talk about what they had, why they made the decisions they made, uh, we can kind of give each other the gears a little bit and celebrate some great plays. Um, it's a really cool way to review your hands and to get some feedback in real time from other Rec Poker members. So you don't have to be a premium member for that. If you make the final table of the tournament champions, you've earned yourself a seat uh, on the online review and hang. So we actually give everyone who makes the final table of the tournament champions a free month at Rec Poker because uh, obviously they're there, they're serious, they want to get more involved. And uh, that that free month will give them a chance to unlock all sorts of great stuff we do here. Um, we don't talk enough about this. I'm just going to take one quick second. Our Learning with Partners program. So Andrew Feist runs this every month. We go behind the scenes of sites like uh, Ryan LaPlante's Learn Pro Poker, um, uh, Matt Berkey's Solve for Why, Jonathan Little's PokerCoaching.com, uh, Sky Matsuhashi's The Poker Forge, uh, uh, Red Chip with James Sweeney, uh, I, I'm missing a couple here because there's so many amazing partners that we have. Uh, the MTT Poker Academy with Gareth James. All these amazing training sites have made some of their available, uh, some, some of their paid premium paywalled material available to Rec Poker premium members. So if you, and, and not a little either, we get like 15 minutes a month from each one of these sites that we get to choose to base around Chris's theme of the month that month. So if, you, uh, if you're a premium Rec Poker member, you can come in and, Look at through our archive of uh, years now of amazing premium material, all based around certain themes, all from these amazing training sites. And uh, if, if like Kevin was saying, if you've um, found your baby steps here with Rec Poker and you want to graduate to uh, the real killers in the poker world, we've usually got some good discounts for you as well to join their coaching programs or their training sites or to go one on one with a coach. Um, so I would encourage people, we don't talk about it enough, but I don't know any other training site in the world that has this kind of relationship with other poker training sites. And it's really valuable. Are, are the members that do take advantage of it 
get a lot out of it. So uh, do come on over to Rec Poker, give that premium membership a try uh, for five bucks for your first month and help us keep the lights on and become a better poker player yourself. Now, I have two more things, Jim. Yes, do it. First, I can confirm that the TOC will be nine-handed. All right. And second, I just noticed that Kim said she was already a lifetime member to learn pro poker. Doesn't surprise me. Smart person. I am just wondering if we would want to offer that as the food pantry plan for tonight instead of a membership to us. That's a great idea, John. That's a great idea. Okay. So, uh, folks, I see we've got a few people watching around here. It is that time. You want to be quick with this one. I'd type those words food bank into the chat real quick. And uh, the winner of the draw, it's not a draw. We roll a nerdy die. Um, but you're going to get a free month at uh, Learn Pro Poker. And that is a very valuable thing that you will enjoy. Um, so while people are putting that together, uh, I'll just say we're doing some schedule tweaks over the next little uh, next little while. You'll see uh, in October and in November, we're changing the time of some events. We're changing the day of some events. Uh, we've gotten some feedback from some members that it's hard for them to make certain ones. Um, uh, saying we're going to be changing, we're going to be releasing a few more videos as well to our premium members, which I'm excited about. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of uh, new stuff coming up. That's why uh, I wanted to just remind our premium members, we've got this amazing website. We change things on it from time to time. We recently did a pretty big reorg that Chris was very uh, involved with this summer. And so if you're new to the website or if you're not exactly sure of how to get exactly what you want out of it, um, I'm, I've, I've been doing a bunch of one-on-one uh, just video chats with members. So if, if you're a premium member and you want to just hang out with me for 15 minutes and talk poker and review the website and learn where all the great things are and what to click and what to show up on and we can um, go see what the different events are and that kind of thing, just send me an email. Jim at rec.poker will find a time to get together and spend 15 minutes uh, chatting poker over Zoom and having a great time doing it. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, really, don't be a stranger. Um, it's one of the most fun things that I can do in a day is take 15 or 20 minutes and talk to uh, premium members about poker. Because I, I don't know if I mentioned it at the top of the show, I have the best job in the world. All right. So we got a few people typing in uh, to the food bank here. I, uh, I have one oh, thought yeah. before, Take before we uh, get to the dice roll. Uh, yes. it, it struck me that when John didn't know what format the game was for the the tournament of champions that he may have accidentally invented like the next great thing in poker you know like everyone's crazy about mystery bounty format what if there was a mystery format tournament where you showed up and like they spun the wheel and it was like okay now you're playing you know plo or i i think that would be that would be pretty pretty cool yeah schrodinger's format right i like that idea similar to kind of a mixed game yeah, but it's like it's like it doesn't mix, right? You just show up, right. you pay your money, you don't know what it is until you sit down and they're like, okay, we're playing stud. I, I assume there'd be no late <laughs> registration then. Yeah, no late reg. <laughs> Interest. All right. Well, here we're gonna uh, uh Kim was talking about bunching earlier, having to do with card removal. We're gonna do some bunching here as well. Uh so we're gonna start with uh Michael. I'm going to roll the die here, my nerdy D&D die. Let's see who the winner of a free month of Learn Pro Poker is. It's Michael. Of course, it's Michael. I didn't roll a one, but I rolled in the one. I rolled in the first bunch. Uh, so there you go. But it, was, it, it wasn't a one. That's something. The mechanics of the loaded dice seem to be, you know, at least e- e- equalizing over time. So we've got something to say for that. Uh, so, Michael, uh, you know my email address. We chat all the time. I actually sent you an email just this morning or yesterday, small world. Uh, so please send me an email, jim at rec.poker, and I'll set you up with your free month at Learn Pro Poker. You are going to love it. Okay, speaking of loving it, <laughs> I got nowhere to go with that. Uh, does anyone else want to add anything? Um, Kim, you're doing a hand history review later this month, but we're going to nail down the date because with your busy, exciting poker travel life, I don't know if you've seen Kim's calendar, but you can click on basically any day in her calendar. And there's like five different poker tours that day. And she just has to choose which one she's going to travel to and go dominate the live poker streets. I 
really want to be Kim Kilroy. I really want kids. Like, she like she's got this all figured out. Um, so yeah, pay attention. Go to the rec.poker uh, homepage. If you just scroll down a little bit, there's a calendar right there. It shows everything that's happening this week. And uh, it's a great way to stay current. So I think we're we'll probably doing it the 18th. Sorry. The 18th? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's the third, uh, the third Tuesday this uh this month. So I, I like how you so guys cool. just gave my Learn Pro Poker Month away. What if I was gifting that to someone? Like, oh, that's true. Like, yeah. <laughs> good, well, then don't put it in the chat that you're already a lifetime member. You had time to speak people. up. Of course, it would have been kind of hard. We're going to give away this to the members. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> but if you really want, I will pay for someone to have a free month at Learn Pro Poker, the person of your choice. Oh, I'll, I'll well. just have to try and win another Sunday night. Yeah, I'll yeah. try. I mean, come on. You just, like, all you do is win these things now. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I also want to oh, say that well the done. rumor that's going around is definitely not true. We will not be tripling the number of home games that we play each month. <laughs> I mean, you know, let's keep the door open, John. You never know what what might happen. Um, people people just clamoring for those home games. We got to start. We're starting to turning people away uh, at the door. Isn't that right? Do we have a solution yet for our five hundred cap? Do we know what's happening there when the time comes? No, we don't. Uh, but actually, right now we have a fair amount of room. We're at like three eighty four. Oh, good. Uh, because okay. I, I, there were a bunch of people who, after we decided you had to be a member of Rec Poker, never did that. So I've kicked them all out, which there gave us go. some breathing room. Excellent. So there's still room in there, folks, to sign up. You play 10 home games a week. They're phenomenal. They're the toughest play money home game in town, as far as I'm concerned. People take it really seriously. It's part of our uh, learning program here. We take a lot of hands from the home games and talk about them on the show or in the forums or that kind of thing. Uh, so do go go and check that out and join up. It's a lot of fun. Well, then I want to thank, uh, let me see, Martha and Joseph and Michael, um, who were chatting away in Phil. And let me see, I know I'm going to miss a couple of people, but everyone who was uh, typing in the YouTube chat, thank you so much. Your uh, your contributions and engagement there helps make our job more fun and even easier. So I love that. And of course, um, I have to thank uh, Kim and John and Chris, without whom I couldn't uh, host the show because it would just be me talking for an hour. Nobody wants that. Um, of course, Kevin Rabichow, who did a great job. I can't wait to have him back on the forums episode. And our sponsors like Mark Rashawn at Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. But mostly it's you, the listeners. Thank you so much, listeners. We'll see you next week. I like that one a lot. That's a good one, too. <laughs>